This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 408 for Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Lou Page is back. You can find him at Busy Zombie Lord on all the social media that matters, and of course, hosting Zombies Ate My Podcast with his co host in front of the show, Ryan Murphy. Hello, sir. How are you? Good. It is summertime, and uh, I am excited. Because I have new summertime gear. <laughs> I actually uh, ordered this last week and it arrived before the show last week, but I didn't get a chance to talk about it because uh, Stephen and I uh, got into talking about Loki, uh, which Lou and I are going to do again this week. Uh, there are thoughts uh-huh. and feelings. Um, but I want to let people know uh, that I picked up uh, the Thermoworks Smoke X2 Long Range Remote Barbecue Alarm Thermometer. <laughs> it's the longest name for a product ever, but uh, basically... Uh, what this is, is a nerdy piece of kit that um, I splurged on for myself because I haven't had a vacation in four years and it's going to allow me to do longer cooks. It's a dual thermometer probe where one probe sits at the grate level in your barbecue. It's got a little clip and it sits about an inch above the the barbecue grate. So you know what grate level temperature is at. The other is a meat probe that you stick into the meat. Say like it's a pork shoulder um, for like, you know, like a pork butt for, for pulled pork, or if you're doing like a brisket, which I'm not ready to do yet, but anything that's like a roast or a tenderloin or something, that's a big, thick piece of meat. That's going to take an hour or more to cook. You want to make sure that you're maintaining temperatures and, um, being able to do that with a remote alarm means that you're not out in front of the barbecue all the time. And right now I have another Thermoworks product. I have a Thermapen which is great for testing meat like chicken breasts, steak, hamburgers, like meatballs, because you need to know when they're done. You need to know when they've reached a safe internal temperature. But in order to do that, you have to lift the lid. Not the end of the world. Yeah, not the end of the world on a 20-minute, 30-minute cook for chicken thighs. But when you do that on a big cook, you're losing all that heat. As soon as you lift that lid, you're losing all the heat. Um, there's a, a fun saying that I've come across in my, my learning to barbecue adventures has been, if you're looking, you're not cooking, <laughs> uh, which I, I actually quite like. So you really do get better results when you kind of set it and forget it. And having a thermometer that has a little cable that goes under the hood <laughs> is going to keep me from opening things up again. Uh, and then I wanted to share that with, with listeners. Uh, they're not cheap. Um, but after doing a bunch of research and talking to someone that smokes and has been smoking meat, like religiously for uh, several years they he basically said like spend the extra money you will not forget it because every time he's tried to we'll say cheap out and get like an alternative that costs like a third of the price it also lasts like you know a year before something breaks Uh, i i would say anything grilling it's worth investing the money anything grilling no matter what it is The, the 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 when i've cheaped out and bought a cheaper product it never lasts me more than a year. Yeah. Uh, but if I spend the real money and get it, like um, for Father's Day this year and my birthday, Erica got me uh, a new grill. 
And instead of getting like the hundred or two hundred dollar grill like I normally would, that only lasted me two or three years, uh, Erica invested in. We got me a big industrial size grill. Um, in fact, it uses some technology that they only usually use for industrial grills. Nice. So, uh, you know, inside of a grill is always going to be gross and dirty. You're never going to get it to look as clean as it is the first time you cook on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, honestly, uh, I've gotten my money's worth out of this grill already, and I've and it's not the summer's not even over yet. Um, we had a uh, we had a birthday party for Violet uh, last weekend. And uh, I cooked about 20 hamburgers and 20 hot dogs on it all at once. That's how big the grill is. Nice. So, uh, so it like I got I definitely am getting my money's worth out of it. And and the old grill I never would have been able to do that with. I do find that surprisingly on a 22 inch kettle I run out of room. Like I yeah. don't know that I could do two full racks of ribs without a rack. Like it, yeah. it to keep them indirect, like to have coals on one side, I, I might be able to do it. Maybe if I cut them in half, I could probably arrange them in a way that it would work out. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things where I'm only cooking for myself and Laura, you know, and half the time it's just for me. So when I do like eight chicken thighs and actually I did nine chicken thighs the other night and that was the max load. Uh, and I'm glad that a couple of the chicken thighs were quite small cause I can kind of like put them in between um yep. themselves but but really eight would be kind of like a comfortable sort of situation to have coals on both sides and then the your your off you know your um what's not the not offset cooking what's it called indirect your indirect space yep. down the middle of the barbecue um eight chicken thighs is about what i would do i could i might be able to get if it was baby back ribs i can get two i the the rack of ribs that i have in the fridge right now is um side ribs so that yep. is, they're quite then they're uncut so they're um they're quite large so that i'm only going to do down down the middle um or maybe even just offset i'm not really sure um but yeah like with with this thing the the moment i opened it up the first thing i noticed was it's heavy <laughs> like really heavy um it's um the base of it comes with a stand that sits out by the barbecue and it will alarm but it also has a long range remote that you can tether around your neck or stick in an apron pocket which is what i'm probably going to do or if you're streaming on Twitch, <laughs> stick the alarm right next to you. Uh, also happens to be magnetic. I can probably stick it to the side of my computer case. <laughs> yep. Um, I don't know. Is it? Are we still of the thought that you can't really put magnets on your computer case? That's probably not a good idea. Uh, as long as they're not industrial strength, I think you're okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. E either way, there are other metal things around that I can I can probably stick it to. Um, it also stands out quite stands up, sorry, quite nicely on its own. It's about an, mm, probably three quarters of an inch wide at the base. So they're both really heavy. And I want, I wonder how strong these magnets are. I mean, the, the full thing, it's about the size of a Game Boy. It's a little bit squat, but if you're looking at an yep. old NES Game Boy, it's about that size. And I held it up to the fridge and it actually left my hand and attached itself to the fridge. So the magnets are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, then I wouldn't attach it to your computer. You might screw up your RAM or your hard drive. Hard drive, yeah. So I'll, I'll leave, I'll maybe I'll leave that uh, for something else. But uh, either way, uh, it's um, it's pretty cool. Uh, and what I another selling point was, again, despite the price, and this is something that my, my friend uh, Chris also said, uh, was, um, sorry, Jeff, not Chris. Uh, Jeff said that um, a lot of these other things, they're kind of like all in one. So if it fails, the whole thing is done. 
uh, there is over time some wear and tear that will happen to the probes, in particular the probe cords. As you can expect, these things are being pinched by the barbecue lid and like they're under hot temperatures yep. and whatnot. They're guaranteed yep. up to like 700 degrees Fahrenheit, but like every once in a while you might have like an accident. Uh, anyway, Thermoworks sells the probe separately. So you don't have to rebuy the whole unit. You can just rebuy the probe if if a probe yep. fails. I, I, I have I have a one for my oven and it says that I can use it on the grill. But I can tell you from personal experience, my new grill, I've had the temp in it up over 700 degrees, <laughs> not intentionally. Yeah. And I've been like, yeah, no, I'm not putting that probe in that grill. Yeah. Uh, well, instead, I have, a, I, have a, I have a hand one that I go out and I stick it in and it tells me the temp immediately. And nice. uh, that's usually what I use when I, uh, when I, when I grill. Yeah. So I've got something similar. I've got like a hand, a hand uh, thermometer. Yeah. Uh, if you decide to invest in something like this, I would say one you're going to have an easier time because it's an American company. <laughs> so I had to pay American yep. dollars for it. So it was a little bit more for me. However, uh, also I picked things up on sale. Uh, they, I will, I will say Thermoworks, they seem like a very good company. They seem to do a lot of really good customer service things. They were, you know, asking me how things were, all that kind of stuff. The issue that I have is that they send newsletters about once a day. So, yep. uh, all, look at all, companies do that now. yeah well it's worth signing up for close to a holiday because i got 20 percent off over the july 4th weekend which is of course a big barbecue season you know it's a big barbecue event for a lot of people so if you're looking to pick something up like this if you can wait until like maybe labor day later in the summer uh christmas gifts and anytime there's like father's day july 4th like anything like that they seem to have a sale uh and it was i mean i picked up the thermopen for 30 percent off so there's, there's definitely ways that you can get this stuff on sale from Thermoworks, which is nice. Um, not a sponsored podcast. I just have been very impressed outside of the crazy amount of newsletters, which, I mean, I turned it off after I was done buying what I needed to. So it's not a big deal. Um, they, they seem to be a really stand-up company. Uh, I've seen a lot of people that I follow on YouTube, and I'm pretty picky about people that I follow on YouTube in terms of personalities and content. And the two or three people that I follow for barbecue and smoking tutorials on youtube uh all seem to use thermoworks products and a lot of times they say look i've used other stuff and yes there's an affiliate link below the video but i'm just i'm telling you just save yourself the time and get yourself one of these and i've heard the same thing about the weber kettle they're just like there's lots of other kettles out there if you want it to last more than two years just spend the extra 50 bucks or 60 bucks you know for canadians it's more like 100 bucks and get a weber kettle now the thing that i find really irky i'm trying not to think about is that I think I have spent about the same amount of money on the two thermometers that I own that I did for the entire barbecue. <laughs> so that's a little bit weird. <laughs> but as you mentioned, I can use this um, cooking alarm in the kitchen. Like I could easily yeah. set it on the stove, run the cable inside the stove. The stove is not going to get up past 350 or 400, you know, for anything that I'm roasting. Uh, sorry, not the stove top, but like the oven is not going to get that hot. Uh, which means that I could I could cook a turkey, I could cook a roast beef, I could do anything I want in the oven, and I could easily maintain not only un, like the temperature of the meat, but I could stick the probe on the oven rack and actually get a real time temperature. Is like by how how close is my oven temp on the display to what's actually happening inside? How much does it fluctuate? Um, so that's going to be interesting uh, come this winter when I cook a little bit more inside. Uh, honestly, I might cook just as much outside this winter too because my balcony is not that big. But anyway, that's that's the food-driven human nerd uh, nerd talk for for the start of the show. Uh, the other quick anecdote is that I had a flood in my sink. Uh, yay, not yay. Um, had to nothing crazy. I caught it when it happened, so it's not like it was happening for a long time. 
uh, and causing a lot of problems. When I found the water going down behind my counter and into my cupboard also, yay. Um, it was all fresh. Like it wasn't moldy, you know, like it was just like this happened like today. Um, so I had to clean out my cupboard, which I don't often do because I don't have fancy drawers and swing out cupboards and lazy Susans. It's just these deep, dark cupboards that you just don't use much. Anyway, I found my yep. roasting pan, which I've had for a long time. Um, and then as I was cleaning everything, because of course everything got wet and it was dusty, so it got kind of gross and I had to wash it all off. I was cleaning the turkey rack that you put in the roasting pan so that the turkey doesn't sit directly yep. on the bottom. And when I turned the turkey rack upside down to dry it on the rack, I looked at it and went, that looks like a rib rack. And I bet oh, you, yeah. I bet you, I haven't done the test yet because uh, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big rib rack. Cause I've, the rib racks I've seen from Weber, which are only 20 bucks um, seem to be a little bit smaller, but I'm pretty sure that this will fit on the Weber. And if it's meant to be in a Turkey roaster, I'm sure it can withstand the 220 degrees that I would cook ribs at <laughs> on, yep. the, on the Weber kettle. So I might be able to cook like four racks of ribs and not have to buy a rib rack. So I guess a win despite the flood. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, if it saves you a few bucks, then it's a win. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, speaking of saving a few dollars, uh, moving on into the main discussion this week, uh, I think I mentioned this last week as, uh, something that I picked up, but I want to say that I have played now for three or four hours in a game called before we leave from balancing monkey games. Uh, I picked it up on steam. Uh, it was on sale. It's no longer on sale since the, uh, steam summer sale is over. Uh, but you can pick it up on both Steam and Epic Games. And if you decide to pick it up on Epic Games, I have an affiliate link. I don't mention this often on the show. I usually mention it more on my my Twitch channel. Uh, but I have an I'm part of the affiliate program on Epic Games. If Epic Games is a place where you do like to buy games, um, there will be a link in the show notes for this podcast to the Before We Leave game that is an affiliate link. Or if you're buying any game on Epic Games, you can just use Joel Duggan, all one word, at checkout. Um, it's not going to cost you anything extra and depending on the game, Epic games will actually give me a little bit of a kickback that helps supports the podcast, my streaming, and basically any kind of content that I produce. Uh, you're going to buy the game anyway, and you get to help me out in the process. So full disclosure, you know, just wanted to let people know that that's out there. Um, I really enjoyed the time that I had with before we leave. Have you heard about this, Lou? Have you seen it at all? I had not, but I saw that you were playing this the other day and I had to look it up and go, I was like, what is before we leave? I've never heard of this. I need to track it down. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's a city builder. Okay. Yeah. So they, they describe it as a nonviolent city builder. So a lot of modern city builders, unless it's like city skylines, uh, have some sort of combat or some sort of like risk involved. And this is from a New Zealand developer. And uh, to quote their website, we create nonviolent games that aim to relax and entertain our players while building a positive and uplifting community that reflects our ideals. Uh, and uh, I think that's pretty true uh, of Before We Leave. Uh, the object of the game or the setup, uh, which I didn't know until I actually started playing and went through the tutorial, is that you're on a planet. It's not Earth, but it's Earth-like. And uh, after a global environmental apocalypse, everybody has been underground for just ages. And so you start off with this little metal bunker and like one or two people come out. And your mission is to help them develop their area so that then more and more people can come out from underground and survive on the surface. And so there's a couple of different things that you can do. You can build farms, 
um, you can build houses uh, to get started and then you can um, start harvesting things like trees uh, you can put down a lumberjack you can put down a mine um, you can do all these different things and as you do that you want to increase your population but instead of breeding people just come out of the ground because there's just more people in the ground but you can't sustain them until you have the infrastructure on the surface and gotcha. there's no bad guys there's no nothing will kill your people they the the only thing that happens that's a detriment is that your your peeps as they're called in the game are affected by the environment so they will be unhappy if they're next to say the smelter that's belting out a bunch of smog and 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 pollution and it's not like the end of the world it's just like there's a an, an area of hexagonal tiles that are are you know designated as this building will create this much pollution um and then you have to kind of upgrade your technology and move throughout, you know, the development of the game as you expand and explore and find new things. And one of the things that you can collect is technology and you mine the technology from the past civilization. So it's set kind of like in the distant future where, you know, the, you can see these ruins of like glowing green stuff and it looks kind of like any kind of sci-fi you know, kind of glowing red, glowing re green power right. that you've ever seen. Sometimes it looks like there might be the remnants of a robot kind of like strewn around on the ground. And you can use those tiles at, to mine technology. And that technology ends up being your currency that you use to then research. So you have to spend 20 green technology to research vegetable farming to broaden your, you know, diet of potatoes, <laughs> right? So you, you get right. into carrots and pumpkins and then you can eventually, I think, get into livestock. And it seems to be a really in-depth game. We play the tutorial live on stream on Twitch. I'll have a link to that um, that VOD in the show notes as well. And uh, it was it was pretty good. I have to say the tutorial was fun. It kind of got you used to the game and explained how things worked. It wasn't very good at explaining the UI. So some of that was a little bit non-intuitive and took a bit of kind of clicking around to explain. But the game theory was all explained to you. Um, things like, hey, take a look at this stat on, on a house you'll notice that buildings have um, benefits and detractors. So if you put potatoes too close to, to pollution, they don't grow very fast. Okay, that makes sense. If you put houses next to one another, then the normal occupancy of two people per house becomes three people per house. The more houses yeah. that you connect, the more people that they can have inside. So with the hexagonal layout of the tiles, think like Carcassonne or Settlers of Catan, yeah it becomes this really interesting strategy puzzle game of like, where do my roads go? Cause all buildings have to touch a road. And then how can I arrange it so that my well and my potatoes and my houses are all benefiting from what they need to be next to potatoes excel next to wells and are harvested faster when next to houses, houses will house more people when they're next to more houses and people will be happier when they're far away from pollution. So like, there's all these different things that you kind of have to balance. And it was really fun. Like I really enjoyed the vibe of it. Um, I had to adjust the sound sliders quite a bit. I found that it, it was one of those things. You ever have a game where like you try to change the volume and nothing seems to happen until you get below 10%. Yep. Yeah. So the game suffers from that when you're too close to the ground, as you move your camera around, you can kind of hear the, the murmurings of what's going on. So if you're close to a mine, you'll hear the mining noises. If you're close to a house, you'll hear like kind of like tables and chairs moving and glasses clinking and stuff like that. So yep. that can be a little bit loud, uh, at least for me when I'm streaming and I'm trying to talk over everything. Um, but other than that, like I really found everything was pretty straightforward. 
Um, the only detractors that I'll say so far, and I mean, it's going to get more of my time, uh, is that the camera controls are pretty good, but because the planet is so small, like when you zoom out on this map, you can see the curvature of the planet. Mm -hmm. And so when you're spinning the camera around and you're too close, like it's, it really makes you dizzy. It's akin to looking at the ground when you're driving on the highway. Like it's just, it really kind of gets you out of sorts. So after three or four hours, I find myself feeling a little bit seasick. Um, and so I didn't, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but, and that to me was just like, you go into this with this fast paced tile building. This is really fun. But then you're using that same speed as you're kind of navigating the menus and clicking around. So I feel like in a lot of ways, my Minecraft play, which is very fast, um, I need to slow down a bit because first person, it's fine. But when you're using this map down toggle or um, camera tool in, in before we leave, it gets very spinny very quickly. So if I have any advice to for people that are going to this game, know that there is no time limit. There is no time penalty. There are no bad guys. You're not trying to race to build up a wall to save yourself from the bugs, right? It's just you, your peeps, and a hole in the ground, and they've got all the time in the world. So slow down. And if you slow down your mind and your gameplay, as I did about maybe two thirds of the way through the stream, you're all you're also going to slow down your your camera movements, and it's not going to be quite as herky jerky and stuff. Um, after a while, you build up a ship, and then you sail to a different island. The different island has different environments, like a desert, you know, or icy sort of situations. So yeah. they have different minerals and different things available, different color research. Uh, and that is the only detractor that I found in the game. So this isn't a bad thing about the game. It's the only thing that's a negative effect is outside of a pollution is that your workers will be inefficient in the desert. They'll get too hot if they have to uh, travel too far. So then you have to develop clothing to help shield them, shield them like sun hats or thermal clothing in the winter so that if they have to travel far across icy terrain, that they'll stay warm and healthy and happy. And that just keeps them operating at the right speed. Um, so it feels like your resource bottlenecks are affected by the environment uh, rather than other obstacles. Um, right. The, later on the in the tutorial, and I joked about this on the stream, it got to the point where I was reading the encyclopedia. Like the the little windows that would pop up with tips would be like four or five in a row, and it was a book. And I found it overwhelming. So at a certain point, you might want to turn the tutorial off. The issue is that they said that once you turn it off, you can't turn it back on again, which to me seems really dumb. Um, I'd like to turn it off until I get stuck and then I wouldn't mind turning it back on again. Um, I'm not a stranger to city builders. So when I was going through the tutorial, there was a number of things where I was just like, well, I've got 180 of this green research built up. I'd like to research vegetable gardens. And I wasn't able to do it. And it was because the tutorial hadn't told me to do it yet. I still had to build like three houses or something on their, on their checklist. So if you're used to these kind of games, you may want to turn the tutorial off a little bit faster. But the problem with that is that later on, there's things like shipping lanes and uh, uh, like happiness and all these other things that come into effect. And it's like, I wouldn't know what to do with those if the tutorial didn't tell me. So mm -hmm. it's one of these weird things where the tutorial is good and essential, but then there's nothing in the UI for anybody that doesn't play the tutorial to really indicate how to do this. So then you'd be left watching YouTube videos about how to play this game. So I feel like um, balancing monkey games need to have a little bit more of a balance, if you pardon the, the pun, uh, between their tutorial and the intuitive nature of their UI. 
uh, or just have more like hover over pop-ups. You know, like if you hover over a button, it should pop up and say, this will tell you this, this will tell you that. Uh, you know, look at these buttons to go here. Um, when you get into the later game, they start talking a lot about peep happiness uh, and also shipping lanes. And I don't want to manage spreadsheets. That's not why I play this kind of a game. It's a beautiful yep. game. Like that's where I draw the line. I know people who do that with like spreadsheets and stuff. And as soon as the, uh, I get a game where they're like, oh, you just need to create a spreadsheet. No, you lost me. You've lost me. And that's what this feels like. There's happiness graphs. There's the, the, the research. Well, the research tree is fine, but the happiness graphs and the shipping lanes, like it's, it's just spreadsheet management inside of a video game. And that's not why I play city builders. I play city builders to do cool stuff. Now I understand that city skylines has things like taxes and, and you have to manage your, your fire, um, not protection, but your fire coverage. You know, like you have to have so many fire stations per, you know, area because they can't travel across town in time to stop fires, that kind of thing. Um, yep. that kind of stuff I get any kind of graphical overlay I'm on board. Like I can see, and, and before we leave has it, you can see pollution, you can see happiness, you can see. Uh, efficiency. You can see agricultural areas versus industrial areas. Like you can see all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But then when we get into these happiness graphs, not only are they uninteresting, but the peeps are so small and so fast moving and have so little personality that you just don't give two shits about them. So I'm not going to spend any time staring at a spreadsheet of graphs to make one peep happier than you know the others because they're not happy with where they live. Don't care. Yeah. You know, if you want something like that, oxygen not included does a much better job of connecting you personally with the little duplicates. They all look cute and fun. They have funny animations. If someone's got an upset stomach, they walk around holding their gut like they're going to fall over. Like oxygen not included is a much better colony simulator so far than before we leave. Um, oxygen not included is a very different builder in terms of that it's 2d and you're building kind of like an ant farm as opposed to a city down top down 3d thing so they have their own strengths but i i feel like before we leave should maybe i wish it would decide what it wants to be you know and what feels like the late game you're going to be managing a lot of happiness and stuff i don't know if you can just ignore that and just deal with the production rates as they are and just enjoy the city building nature of it i haven't really gotten that far yet so before we leave we'll get more of my time but there are some things about it that i can already tell i'm just not going to bother with because one it's not interesting to me and two i'm probably going to share this content on, on twitch and i don't find staring at happiness graphs to be engaging content you know as far no. as a content creator so um, cause I don't have a webcam. Like I don't sit there and just do let's chat. So if you really wanted to chill, you know, time, you could totally do that. But I really feel like I'm probably going to be exploring more of the visuals. I mean, I'm an artist. I like creating things. That's, that's what's going on with this. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's how I'm going to roll. Um, like have you, when it comes to city builders, like, have you, are there any ones that you like, or are these in the genre where you kind of check out? It's touch and go. Like I love the Civ games. But somewhere usually between turn one and 503, I'm like, all right, I'm done with this game for a while. Um, I like City Builders. I, I played a lot of them as a kid, but as an adult, I don't find them as interesting as I used to. Um, I was looking it up while you were talking because 
what you were talking about reminded me where there was no combat reminded me of another game that came out in 2014 called Banished. And it's a city builder, but there's no combat. It's all about uh, you're a bunch of people that have decided to leave and go start a, a, a village in a new land because you were exiled. And uh, the the game cycles through seasons. So in the early part of the game, it's like spring. And so you've got to get the crops growing and get enough farms so that you can keep your people surviving through the winter. And then you've got to have enough hunters to hunt food during the winter so that you can keep the keep your people alive. And there's no combat, but there is a dangerness of the game. And the whole concept is to just basically keep your people fed and alive. And then eventually later on in the game, I've, I, I've never played it enough to get too far into it, but eventually you can get traders and then traders come to town and you can trade them for other goods and services. And there's no, there's never any money involved in the game. It's just resources to help you keep your people from dying. Have you heard of Foundation? I have, but I've never played it. It looks very similar to Banished. Like I just looked up Banished on Steam right now and it looks like it's yeah. a very similar sort of game. The reason why I've never pulled the trigger on Foundation is because it doesn't seem to go on sale and $35 is just a little bit more than I'm willing to pay for that yep. kind of experience, which is why I picked up before we leave because it was all it's, it has a it looked like it was a lower time investment. It looked like it was a quicker play style and it was yep. sub 20 bucks. You know, even regular yeah, price see, I think is sub 20 see, bucks. That's the that, that's the sticker for me is I'm not a. I don't love these types of games, but they got to be sub twenty bucks for me to even consider buying them. That's why I I haven't played it yet, but I did pick up uh, Oxygen Not Included. You mentioned it. Nice. Uh, I I I picked it up. I haven't played it yet, but one of the reasons I picked it up was is that game rarely ever goes on sale, and when it does, they knock like three bucks off, and I got it for under ten. Yeah. And I was like, I was like. This is something that I'm willing to risk under 10 bucks for, but I'm not willing to risk like 30 bucks for. I'd have to look up. I don't remember if I downloaded the VODs before they disappeared on Twitch, but I want to say that I got six or seven streams that have oxygen not included. So you're talking 30 hours for the same idea. Yeah. I picked it up over the Boxing Day sales, like the holiday sales. I think Steam calls it the winter sale. Um, yeah. I picked it up for, again, sub 15 for sure, which is probably, you know, the, the, the difference between um canadian and u.s pricing on steam um but it's worth it if you got it for under 10 bucks like it that is worth even the for the one two hour play session like you're going to enjoy yep. yourself uh, if nothing yep. else it's just charming and wonderful um i i did find oxygen not included a little bit hard the first time out like there's a lot of stuff that will kind of not pigeonhole but like cramp your colony development if you don't know or don't play enough of these games uh, I'll yeah. give a shout out to uh, a creator that I follow, Max the Catfish on YouTube. He recently posted a kind of how-to on Oxygen Not Included. So I would say play it. And if you get frustrated, watch his how-to because he kind of gives you a really good base of like, look, this is how you set yourself up for success to avoid these kind of frustrations that get early players to then bail and never come back. And he's like, if you right. can get past this hump, some some people can get past it intuitively and some people it's just like the game is just not quite and like they don't quite get it um or they get frustrated with it and they're like yeah i'll get to it later and then they never come back um but he's got some really good good content on it um and when he streams oxygen not included he is a very chill stream and he gets really invested in the personalities and like you know 
who the duplicates are and you don't have to do that but it, it just it's funny for you know to, to watch you know how he goes through it and stuff like that but i as a designer as an artist i love oxygen not included like if i was to make a video game that would be the kind of job that i would want would be like joel you're going to create assets for this game that needs everything hand-drawn from the outhouses to the the scientific crops like to everything needs to be cartoony and weird <laughs> i was like i am yep. on board and that's why i like things like before we leave banish looks cool foundation also looks cool not because i necessarily always bring everything back to minecraft but it's a nice break from minecraft it's a nice break to build a house and not have to build it block by block and yeah. i also get inspired like the randomness that like you can't control everything in these games like with before we leave you're stuck with this hexagonal layout which means that you your roads have to go in specific really weird spiral patterns but it sort right. of gives you like this idea of like well everything in minecraft is so grid like what if i took my latest playthrough of before we leave and tried to translate that into minecraft and make it kind of like a, a cool looking uh, a cool looking game um, this week, speaking of Minecraft on um, the render distance, which is the extended version of the, the Spawn Chunks podcast, uh, Pixel Riffs brought up uh, Dwarf Romantic. Have you heard this, this game? Oh, so, think so it's it's a city builder, sort of. It's a puzzle game. And so think about it like a hexagonal tile game where you have to line up the pieces of this hexagonal chit and it has a river on one side or two sides a forest on the other and farmland on the other and as you rotate it you can kind of build this little community and you get points every time you put down and match up the sides as you get points you get more pieces the game is over when you run out of tiles so the idea is to play as long as you can and constantly be giving yourself more tiles and uh, his brother-in-law was playing it and he was saying that it was really cool inspiration for something like a Minecraft or other creative city build because the randomness, you're kind of forced to use the next tile in your hand and you have to kind of lay them as you're dealt them. Um, but because of the hexagonal layout, everything kind of comes out kind of sideways. Like it's, it's not, it's not, not as um, neat and tidy as it would be if you were allowed to make a grid, you know? Right, right. Um, but I'll, I'll throw that out there for people that are looking for something else. Also, what is it on Steam? It is 11.49 Canadian, which means it's probably sub 10 bucks US. Yep. So moving on into Loki, the season one finale on Disney Plus. Uh, huge spoilers. Obviously, Lou and I cannot talk about this without um, spoiling things for you if you have been keeping up. Chances are, though, if you've been keeping up, you've probably already seen it. Uh, Lou, what what did you think of the season one finale? I really enjoyed it. Um, I think overall I enjoyed Loki probably more than you did. I think you are correct, sir, which is why we're starting yes. with you in the positivity. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I viewed this as as I knew that it was going to be six episodes. I knew it was going to lead into something. I just knew that at the end of this, it's gonna it has to tie into a movie. All their shows have tied into a movie. I mean, Falcon and the Winter Soldier ended, and it's now... Falcon is Captain America, and they've already said that they're working on a new Captain America movie with him as Captain America, and that the, and that's cool. Uh, WandaVision ended, and it was like it's going to continue in Doctor Strange in the uh, multi multiverse of madness, and 
he ended, my exact thoughts were, oh, this is going to tie straight into Ant-Man. Um, and if that doesn't make any sense to you, that's because you don't know who the villain is at the end. Which I don't. Uh, it's purple okay. bathrobe guy. <laughs> right? Okay. That's so his name. He, 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 he calls himself he who remains. But in the comic book, his character is known as Kang the Conqueror. Oh, it is Kang. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that actor was cast as Kang in the new Ant-Man movie. And that was announced like maybe six, seven months ago. And so my theory going into this finale, because I liked, I especially liked not necessarily this episode. This episode was fine. Not my favorite episode of the season. I really liked the last episode where they were like taming the monster thing to get through the gate to get to where they are in this episode. And this episode ended and I looked at Erica, not this one, but the last one ended. And I looked at Erica and I said, one of two things is going to happen. They're going to through the, go through this gate and there's going to be another Loki or they're going to meet Kang the Conqueror. And she goes, who? And I go, remember when we watched the animated series for a while that was the Avengers? There's that time traveling. She's like, oh, that guy. I said, yeah, that's who's probably on the other end of this is it's going to be Kang the Conqueror. And then lo and behold, as soon as I saw that actor, and they never call him Kang the Conqueror, but I was like, that's the actor that's been cast as Kang the Conqueror in the new Ant-Man movie. So I think we're leading him into being our new big villain. Which is strange to me. Because uh, Thanos t like was the big villain for so many movies, even though indirectly. Uh, yeah. And and certainly for like your main heroes, you know, as as the um, as as the Avengers move forward, the thing that I I forgot since you mentioned Ant Man, Ant Man though, was how crucial Ant Man and Pym particles were in Endgame in terms of yes. time travel, right? So time works differently in the quantum realm, right? Like I just that just kind of sparked into my brain just now. I hadn't even thought about Ant-Man the entire time I've been watching the TVA and Loki do their thing uh, on right. Disney+. Plus. So that's really interesting. And I can understand a little bit as to why they put him in a purple bathrobe because the character's, you know, purple and green 70s jumpsuit. I'm not even sure what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and he has this weird helmet thing and his face is kind of weird looking. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, was like I, I hope they don't do that. I hope he's just the dude. And that's kind of what they did with him. And I was okay with that. I'm okay with that. But I feel like if you're going to be called Kang the Conqueror, and if you want to rival Thanos as, uh, as a villain, I feel like you need something sci-fi. I, th I think now that his character is, well, spoiler, at the end of this episode, Sylphie stabs him and kills him. And that's when you realize things have changed. Um, I think when we meet the new version of him, the new version of him is going to be scary. Right. Yeah. There, I mean, cause he says, he says that he like, there's multiple. Yeah. Multiple people. And that I'm the nice one is basically what he tells. Them. Yeah. Um, Jonathan majors who plays him yep. uh, in, in, in the, in the, the show uh, did a really good job. I mean, I, I have my issues with the show and I certainly have my issues with the final episode, but for all of the dialogue that he has and the psychosis that would go along with knowing everything at the end of time, 
and having previously dealt with multiple universes of yourself, not all of whom were nice people, right? Right. Um, I thought he portrayed like the level of, I know everything, so nothing matters, but I'm also batshit crazy. Kind of like, yeah. in an, it's a delicate line to watch, like to, to walk. You can go, the, the, you can go uh, overboard and he didn't. I, I like the moment where they're having a conversation with him and Loki's like, what if he's lying? And she's like, what if he's lying? And then they, then they're bickering because they're trying to figure out if one of them is lying. If they kill him, is it the right thing? If it's the wrong thing, what are they going to do? And at one point he looks at them and he goes, oh, we've crossed the threshold. And they both look at each other like, what the hell is he talking about? And he goes, so I was lying earlier. I don't know how all of this is going to end, but I knew how everything was going to go until this point. And now we're at the threshold. Now this is new. I don't know what's going to happen. And it was like, you could see that like he was excited that he didn't know what was going to happen. Because he's a scientist, right? Like that, and he, when he described himself as the, I started off as just a regular, one of the variants in a different universe. And I discovered that these multiple universes existed. Like I was a scientist in the 31st century working on XYZ. So the idea of not knowing in the pursuit of knowledge is something that excites him even at this stage, right? Yeah. And the interesting thing is, is in the comic books, what you end up finding out in one of the many, many, many comic books of you know how complicated the the com the comic book universe is mm -hmm. is at one point you find out that Kang is a descendant of Mister Fantastic and, and 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 Sue Storm. Oh, okay. So my theory is, I think this is going to somehow tie into Ant Man. I don't think they're going to necessarily beat him in Ant Man. But he's going to get introduced at, to the rest of the Marvel Universe in Ant-Man as the as the, one of the overarching villains coming. And uh, I, I have a funny feeling somehow Fantastic Four might get tied into this fight with him. Yeah, so if, if he's a descendant of Sue Storm uh, and mm. is it Richard? No, what's the guy's Reed name? Reed Richards. Reed yeah. Richards. Uh, then or at least I, he is in the comic book, right? So yeah, I mean, I could see them pulling on that thread and kind of like setting him up to be, you know, and setting up the emotional battle of like you know the Fantastic Four having to fight a villain that happens to be their descendant, which is you know weird. Yep. You know, like if there's any kind yep. of you know, not that they would have any kind of emotional connection, but like it would be a strange thing. It would be like fighting yourself. You know, like if you've got a a situation where in order to save the day, you have to kill your future self. Like that kind of stuff would yep. be strange for a character to go through. Um, I, again, I was a little bit underwhelmed by his presentation physically in, in the encounter with Loki and, and Sylvie. Um, but at the end of um, the season one finale to skip ahead, they show him replacing the three figures that were the time Lords and then it's just a sculpture of him that's that's running the that's at the TVA and like that center yeah. hub thing. And the outfit that he's got on is a lot closer to the outfit that he wears in the comics from what I can see with a couple yes, of screenshots here. And that to me is like it's still a dude. He's still an actor. He's not under a lot of makeup. He's not a CGI person like Thanos was. Not that I mean, Thanos, the acting that that um, is it Josh? Josh? What's his last name? Uh, it's. Um... Brolin? Brolin. Josh Brolin. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the acting that he did comes through in Thanos. It's fantastic. Um, but it's nice that they're not, you know, they're giving an actor an opportunity to not be behind 
the digital and just be forefront. Because I mean, it would be yeah. kind of, it would be on par with, you know, Marvel if he was a a big or an alien animated character. But like, instead of a big purple dude at the end of Avengers, you'd have a big blue dude at the end of Ant Man. So like, I, I get that they kind of want to steer clear of that. Um, but again, like the outfit and the armor that he has on, is just enough of a sci-fi, you know, twist that it's like, okay, sure. I'm, I'm on board. He looks powerful, you know, but the weird flowy bathrobe thing that he had didn't really seem to do it for me in terms of like, the guy doesn't feel like a threat at all. Um, yeah. but I guess that's the point is that he isn't, it's his variant that would that's be, it's going to be the threat. Yeah. But then again, like if that's the threat, then like, how are there not multiple threats? You know, like this, and this is where my major issue with Loki, as far as the timeline and the TVA and everything kind of starts to fall apart is because you're dealing with an infinite number of universes with an infinite number of threats and it's just insurmountable and it just becomes a lot of noise to the point where it doesn't matter. Like I, the, the amount of time that they wasted in the final episode of three characters sitting around saying, you're lying. No, I'm not. Trust me. I can't. Like I just, it was the same conversation that took three minutes for 35 minutes. They the did it only, 10 times. The only thing I will say is her character didn't grow. No. Her character is still, she was determined to get her revenge and she got her revenge. And I think we'll see her character's arc change over the next one. The next, if, going into season two i think we'll see her change where if she had to do it all over again she's gonna realize she may she might have made a mistake of some kind see i hope she's not in it that she will be damn it because i here's the thing and again no shade at sofia de maritino uh martino uh i you know i think that her character was written into a corner and she was the worst thing about this season it was flat. I knew everything she was going to say and everything she was going to do 10 minutes before they did it. And there, there, and, and the, it, it, to illustrate it, it happened a number of times in this episode where he who remains says, have you wondered why you can't kill me? I know everything. I know everything that's about to happen. And I'm thinking in my head, nope, she can't kill you because she, before she stabs you, she says, I'm going to stab you. It's like, well, no freaking wonder he gets out of the way. You told him you were going to stab him. Like it was, it's terrible. The writing for her is awful. The only thing interesting that comes out of her character is her relationship with Loki. And it's not that I think that they have a good relationship. I think that they botched it when they made it romantic. What I think is that Loki just wants a friend. Yeah. Not a girlfriend, a friend. And I think he had that. And then he realizes that, that he lost it in the duality of she can't trust anyone and he can't be trusted because he's the God of mischief. And right. And I think that was a nice setup for the tragic story that is Loki, because that's the st- your Loki's not going to have a happy ending. That's not how Loki works, and right. that's not what drives him. And I feel like they did a really good job of illustrating that. Where it drops out for me is where they make it romantic, because nothing about her one note character at all has the intelligence to have someone as clever as Loki fall for her. That was broken right. for me. The 
I, I have to say, I didn't. I was not crazy about the romantic interest, mm -mm. but them being buddies was okay with me. I was like, that's a cool, cool idea. Yes, he's now met the female counterpart of him, and they've realized that they work better together than they do apart. Or the sibling that he wanted in Thor that he couldn't get. Yes. You know? Yes. And so the so, the moment that they do the romantic kiss on screen, it was no different than Kylo Ren and, and, and um, gosh, I'm blanking on her name, Daisy Ridley, um, Ray, uh, kissing yeah. on screen. I was like, nope, lost me. Don't care. It wasn't worth it. Never saw it. Should never have happened. The same thing here. Like I just, it, the, the kiss to make it romantic, that's the only thing that says this is a romantic thing is because the script says we kiss. That's it. Nothing else about it at all through all of their relationships seemed romantic at all. I would agree with you on that. Um, my only other thing, too, is is I, I, I'm i not a huge Kang fan. So the fact that he's going to be our new bit villain, I think it's going to change the way we see the next few movies, depending on who the other villains are in the next few movies. Um, since we're now dealing with a multiverse, I definitely think this is going to affect Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. I think I, I think there's no way that this isn't this isn't some way tied to what happened at the end of WandaVision. Yeah, I wonder See the thing the thing that I that I saw circulating, I try to avoid spoilers where I could, but once I finished watching episode 5, of Loki last week. And I, some of the people I follow on TikTok are like Marvel, you know, that's, that's their shtick on TikTok is like they report on Marvel stuff and they were throwing out Dr. Doom as one of the potential people behind the curtain, you know, at the wizard of Oz, uh, I mean, I, at the end of time. No way. And no, I, I agree too. Like, I, I think that that would be too powerful, but Dr. I Doom even, I, is, I even heard somebody talking about, I, when WandaVision was happening, everybody was saying, it's Mephisto, it's Mephisto, it's Mephisto. And then I saw somebody else, that there was some guy on YouTube that was putting up videos. And he's like, I'm telling you all, it's Mephisto this time. And I'm like, I'll believe Mephisto is walking onto a, a Marvel set when they announce the actor that's playing him. They're not going to blindside us with somebody we don't know who it is. Yeah. But to me, like, Doctor Doom has got the cool factor. Like, Thanos has got the physical threat and the cool factor. Yeah, this guy, this Kang guy, not so much. Now, I'm not a big comic reader for the Marvel stuff. Ant-Man certainly wasn't a comic that crossed my my table. Um, so I could be wrong and I'd be happy to prove it wrong. I certainly have faith in Marvel films. I, I, they've been on shaky ground with the with the television shows. So far, I'm one for three. I loved Falcon and the Winter Soldier, had some problems, but still very, very good show. Um, and good characters and good character development. Um, whereas WandaVision and WandaVision made me excited for what's coming after. It didn't necessarily excite me during it. And then yeah. this, I was just like, oh God. The thing that I don't like about Loki is that despite the fact that it's a well-produced show, I, I don't like that kind of writing and, and the, the plot hole loops of time loops and reset everything and anything is everything because the script says so because we can. Because when you're dealing with something as fluid as time, like there's just no rules. And it really, yeah. it really lets it, 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 it. There's too many plot holes. Yeah, exactly. There's just, you just have to trust that this is the way it goes, which they don't give you enough because they can't, you know, for, for you to be won over as an audience member. Um, it's, yeah. it's like, it's like the finite situation of something like Jurassic Park. 
Jurassic Park works because there's one thing that happened. We cloned dinosaurs. Like, that's it. That's the only leap you're asking the audience to make. Whereas in Loki, there's a couple hundred leaps every time you watch an episode. Like, it just, I, that's an exaggeration. But the, there's a lot to ask. And I think people just tune out because it's like, I don't know where to put my stock. It's the same yeah. way. It's the same issue that you have with Loki, Sylvie, and and Trust. And, and, and um, the, the curtain behind the curtain in the show is that you as the viewer don't know how they're going to run the show because there's just so few rules. You're just like, well, I've, I don't know where to invest. I'm not at the edge of my seat because like, do I even have a seat? Like it just gets existential so fast. Well, and- the, only, the only thing I'll say, the thing I did enjoy the most is that I think Tom Hiddleston's character... Eh, he had a character arc by the end of Thor Ragnarok and dying at fighting, trying to stab Thanos. Right. Mm-hmm. And where you, you, he had revealed, he had come from being a villain to sort of being an anti-hero. Right. And when he, this episode, the first episode of this begins, he's clearly a villain. And by the end of this, when he gets back to the TVA and he looks at uh, Mor- uh, Morbi- uh, Morbius and he says something about, well, we got to go do this other thing. And he goes, who are you? Which agent are you? And you could see this look where he's gone full circle. He's not the villain that this episode began, that the series began with. He's His character arc is he did the whole Thor Ragnarok thing again. The, his character arc where he's now a hero and now he's like how am i going to fix this he did it within the tv like within the series yeah within yeah. within the series yeah so no matter which way you pluck loki from his event which was new york i think i can't remember yeah. which um, yeah he was plucked in new york no he was plucked when he got the tesseract yeah at the end of the new york battle right but it's not that if he gets captured and sent back to Asgard, that's fine. It's it's the Tesseract thing that that was the trimming point. Yes. So like one of the major things that happens in Loki timelines when Loki Prime, for the lack of a better term for him, gets pruned is if he wins in New York or if he gets his hands on the te- Tesseract and just becomes that kind of powerful, they have to like prune him because he's not supposed to win, right? Lokis don't yes. win. They say that a number of times in the show. Um, I agree with you that I think that that the character arc there is nice and that it mirrors what happened with like Ragnarok and, and Endgame. The problem that I have with th- that for the show for season two, I am not interested in watching Morbius and Loki do the dance of getting to know one another again uh, because they decided to reset the timeline. Like one of two things happens in timeline stories, either things get reset or there's a time loop and I called time loop slash, you know, Loki is revealed to be the master puppeteer between everything behind everything. And I should have called the other trope, which is, which is reset everything. Cause as much as I enjoy like the, the, the set design and the production design and the retro look of like the TVA. And I really like Mor- Morbius and Owen Wilson does a good job with his personality. And I like that there's the buddy you know, relationship yes. that you wanted, right? Like Loki does actually have a friend. We're all leading, being led to believe that it's supposed to be this love interest in Sylvie when really it's Morbius is his buddy. They're buddy cops. Yep. He even looks like a cop for the last two episodes. Like he's got the holster yep. for his sword, but it's, it looks like a holster for a, a sidearm. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I just, 
I just wish that they would get away from these time travel tropes that we've seen, you know, over and over again in other media and that they've called out in situations like Endgame where they're joking about Back to the Future and other Star Trek timey stuff. And they're like, ah, time doesn't work like that. Uh, I I did like the opening of this episode where they were playing all the clips from different moments in Avengers movies histories, including yeah. the song at the end of Endgame where where um, Steve Rogers and um, Peggy Carter get their dance in the living room. Yeah, uh, I really thought that was a nice kind of sentimental way to say like this is going to affect a lot of things. Uh, and I haven't seen the trailer yet, mostly because I just saw it advertised and then forgot to click on it. But um, the What If series is the next thing that's coming to Disney+. Plus. And I got a feeling that Loki and these crazy timelines that have gone outside of the, the red line that the TVA says, like if any timeline deviant you know, goes past this point and who knows what could happen. And now they've all gone past that point. So utter chaos is happening. And I feel like that is going to be the excuse that the Marvel universe can use to do one-off things like the what if series where Peggy Carter becomes Captain America, where there's zombie Spider-Man, you know, where there's um, a bunch well, of different, not things. only that, but my other theory thing is, is they're going to introduce the, all of the, what if episodes are being introduced by the watcher. Oh, so I don't know the watcher. Okay. The watcher is like, Think of him as like Doctor Who. Uh, he's the last of his species, and he basically sits in a hidden, like, space station that orbits Earth because everything seems to revolve around Earth, and he's not allowed to interact with everybody, but he's the guy that records time and all of the things that happen. And he's supposed to be able to see all of the multiverse all at once. Part oh. of me actually wondered if he might be Kang the Conqueror at the end before Kang the like before they introduced the act. When I saw the actor, I was like, okay, it is going to be Kang. But for a half a second, I was like, what if they just meet the Watcher and he's gone demented? And then I was like, oh no, it's Kang. Okay, we're good. <laughs> but the Watcher, the Watcher is he ends up becoming an Avenger. Because, or sort of like an Avenger, because he ends up things happen and things go way off script, and he's not supposed to interfere, and he does once in a while, because he needs to get things back on track. Mm. So this is one of the. Um, I, I thought it looked familiar because I saw a bunch of images like on Google Image Search about like the how what he looks like, and I've definitely seen it before. But I mean, one um, they, he's they, they're shown in a Guardians of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, uh, 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 flash uh, one of the Stanley cameos, yeah, one of the Stanley cameo stingers at the end. He, yeah, Stanley's in a spacesuit and he's saying, yeah. I can't remember what he says, but he's like, I only if I only had a little bit more time or something, he said, he says something along like that. Um, yeah, but uh, the other thing is that, uh, true to form with Marvel and DC basically copying each other in the 70s and the 80s, um, he reminds me of the ring the the power ring guys from um green lantern where are they like the keepers of the ring or the the lantern they yeah, cre yeah, yeah. they created the rings they're the ones that created the yellow rings and the green rings and i can't remember their names zero nerd cred for me but 
Um, he, he, big head, high collar, floaty robes. Looks like he kind of floats above the ground, like that kind of a that kind of a vibe. Um, definitely comes through. But uh, well, that's interesting yeah. that that we'll have that for like as as a as a through point for for the What If series. I'm looking forward to that just for one other reason because it's animated. So that should be that should be a lot of fun. Moving on into the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you. If you'd like to support the Citadel Cafe, we are 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will invite you to the member-only Discord server, where you can chat with us in between podcasts. I share that community with my Twitch chat, as well as my personal Patreon. So there's quite a few people in there. It's uh, 100 strong, at least, which is a good number of nerdy folks. Now, you get access to different kind of roles. You've got uh, bonus episodes, that kind of thing. Patron count is currently at 24. Same from last week. Uh, I'd love to increase that to at least one a month. So if you'd like to be 25, check out patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. And if you are a patron, if you want to contribute to the show and the show's development, throw a comment in the town hall channel on Discord. Uh, that is where uh, I'm going to be developing goals for the, the podcast, uh, trying to think of, figure out what we're going to do in, this, in the future. Uh, so check it out, patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe, and uh, hopefully we will see you there. My pick this week is Lego. Surprise! Uh, it just came out today. Uh, as far as the announcement goes, it's going to be available on August 1st. It is the Lego Volkswagen T2 camper van, creator set 10279. Uh, I am not normally a car guy, nor am I a Lego car guy. They usually have too many exposed Technic pieces for me, like the Lamborghinis and stuff that they've made have just not really turned my crank. Uh, however, this is a tidy, very cool little retro looking build um, for the Volkswagen camper van. Uh, the foldable, quote unquote foldable, uh, beach chairs and the surfboard, along with the pitched roof are a really nice touch. Uh, I, I like it a lot. It's not a small build either. It's like 13 and a half inches long, six inches tall, five inches wide. Like it's, yeah, that's a it's, lot of parts. it's a lot of parts. And normally I think of like Lego retail for me in Canada being like anything around like 17 to 18 cents a piece. is a pretty good experience. This retails for 180 Canadian, but it's got 2,200 pieces, which means you're looking at around eight to nine cents a piece. So this is going to take you a while. Uh, the inside is decorated. It's got like a little sink and a bed and a steering wheel, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, you got the hubcaps and the and the, the license plate things. And a lot of pieces rotate. It looks like the sliding door on the side really works. So um, again, not a car guy, but just I like the retro design style of it. And I could easily see this sitting on my shelf. And a lot of times sets like this are closer to 300 Canadian. So the fact that it's under $200, which is still a lot for Lego, is it looks appealing like it's got that like oh if i had that kind of disposable income this would be threatening <laughs> yeah the, 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 this is definitely a sub 200 here in america too so uh what is your pick this week sir so my pick this week just a little one uh ryan reynolds in his deadpool character uh he's got a movie coming out later this summer called free guy that was supposed to be out last year but they keep postponing it it got shuffled around because of the Fox-Disney merger, too, because it was originally a Fox movie, if I remember correctly. And uh, it's finally going to be coming to theaters this summer. And so Deadpool is reviewing the trailer of Free Guy, joined by his buddy Korg. 
and <laughs> it, it, it's it's a pretty humorous thing. It's Deadpool and Korg sitting on a couch, and they're talking about the trailer. And it is Taika Waititi voicing Korg as you like he does in the Thor movies. And what's best about it is Taika Waititi is the villain in Free Guy. So that's why they're doing this. It's kind of stunt casting, but it's kind of fun to watch them banter back and forth. Look, if there's one thing that I've learned is that, like, not only is Ryan Reynolds probably one of my favorite, you know, movie stars right now. I don't love everything he does, but just as a personality, I really enjoy him. He is a brilliant marketer, like does not uh-huh. get enough credit for how he can just manipulate everything uh, and, and get either himself or Deadpool or whatever it is, his aviation gin, like the photo, the quote unquote feud that he and, and um, Hugh Jackman have online, like just hilarious, but ingenious at the same time. Uh, And uh, actually I'm really looking forward to see if uh, the new movie, I don't remember the name of it, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot and the rock Dwayne Johnson. Yes. Coming to Netflix. Yeah. Uh, Now there are, three actors that I just like, I, again, I don't always love Dwayne Johnson's movies. I like some of them, but I really enjoy him as just a p- person, just as a human being. Yep. Uh, all of them are just really cool people that I think are from what I can tell. I don't know, but as far as Hollywood goes, they seem pretty down to earth, pretty savvy, but also it, it, it's called red something. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Red tag, My only red gripe, label. Yeah. Yeah. It's like red. It's like red zone or red tag or uh, yeah. my only gripe with it is they haven't shown us anything of it yet. Yeah. And for, for, for Netflix to not show us something this long is kind of weird. Red notice. Red, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, red notice. I, 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 I agree, and I feel like it might be something that um, I noticed after watching the Tomorrow War with uh, yeah. Chris Pratt uh, for last Where week. Where they've shown it, they've been shoving it down your throat for like the last six months. Yeah, well, see, this is the thing when you've got a Twitch account and you're also an Amazon Prime member is that you get the trailer like every time there's a Twitch ad. Um, but yep. the problem with that is that the trailer basically had all the exciting bits in it, and it, yeah, the, 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 yeah. yeah, I'm kind of glad that anytime a trailer like that happened, I was either muting or skipping the ad because I actually watched the the Tomorrow War having not seen a trailer. And I don't know, like I these three actors alone will sell me on a Netflix movie. I will sit down and watch it. Yeah. I might not finish it if it sucks, but you've got me in on the casting period. I don't necessarily need a trailer because I also I'm not expecting it to be rocket science. And so no. if it's a summer blockbuster with these three personalities in it, I don't need a trailer because I kind of the trailer. The only thing you can show in a trailer is going to give away half the movie or at least half the jokes. Right. Like I don't want all of the one liners from Reynolds in the trailer because that's what it's yep. going to be. Right. I'd rather just experience them organically in, in, the, in the movie. You know, it's always a, re- a bummer for me is, is I liked Hitman's Bodyguard. Yes, me too, actually. <laughs> uh, and the sequel's coming out. But you know what kills me about those that, that, that mo- those movies? Outside of North America, so you and I in Canada and here in America, outside of that distribution, those are Netflix movies. Really? They go straight to Netflix. Netflix is listed as the executive producer. But here in America, they're Lionsgate. Hmm. So that's why we don't get them on Netflix, but the rest of the world does. That does not get a does not get a theatrical release 
outside the U.S. That big that that gets that gets uh, Netflix straight. Where did I watch the Hitman's Bodyguard? Because I watched it streaming. Did you? Yeah, I don't know whether it was on Netflix eventually. Like it wasn't it, it, day and day. It was on Netflix. It was on Netflix at one point. Oh, that's probably what it, it was then. But but it but it but it it's like day and date with Netflix outside the U.S. Oh, I see. Okay. And I only know that because uh, somebody sent me a copy because I was trying to get a hold of that movie at one point, and someone sent me a a a a, a their copy. And on the disc that they sent me, it was like this is a Netflix movie, and I was like, "That's weird." <laughs> I guess you know, you get kind of a funny experience in North America, where I mean, a lot of stuff is just kind of big Hollywood theatrical releases for the U.S. Canada being so close to U.S. in terms of culture, just kind sometimes of... you guys don't, sometimes you do. It's yeah, weird. it is strange. Yeah, well, that's because the copyright stuff is weird up here too. That's that's the other thing. The, the the Tomorrow War, which I talked about last week, it really felt like a direct-to-streaming movie. It did not feel like yep. a theatrical movie. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it felt like... There's a quality difference. Um, I don't know about a quality... Well, yeah, the quality difference in the writing. I think it's the fact that they. it just felt like maybe there isn't enough investment off the start to really get things honed down. They're not yep. riding on ticket sales, butts and seats in theaters because mm, the, it, they, my... can, they can just distribute it worldwide on Amazon Prime and be just like everyone can see it, you know, so why my not? Only, right? my, my biggest gripe with a, a lot of streaming net, like Netflix movies or Amazon movies is they I feel like they need better editors because they know yeah. that they don't they, they 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 let things go on sometimes the movie could be done in 90 minutes they let it go on for two and a half hours you're and right it's like you know you could have cut 30 minutes out of this thing and i wouldn't have noticed or go the route of stranger things and turn the tomorrow war into a six episode miniseries yeah you know like that yeah. that would sit better with me you'd be able to get more character development some of the big drops in the tomorrow war would be probably cooler on like episode five, you know, like you find out that, I mean, spoiler, I told about this last week, but like the commander that he goes to the future to work with is his daughter. And you find that yeah. out kind of like in the middle of the movie, but it would have been yeah. really cool to have that be something that you discover um, like in episode three or four or something like that. So yeah. there, there are some pacing issues I find. I agree. But see, cause the Tomorrow War for me, quality wise, still felt like Stranger Things. And Stranger Things is a high production TV show. It's very, very good. Yeah. I really like that show. And the Tomorrow War felt like that, but it just didn't feel like a Hollywood blockbuster for whatever reason. And I and I I think I mentioned it last week is that it feels like um, probably there's some restrictions and some things that they couldn't help filming and producing and and putting out a movie during COVID. I think probably changes a lot of things logistically, and um, we might just be entering into this new realm of some or a lot of movies being released either day and date on streaming or just on streaming alone uh, that are in bringing in big Hollywood talent, people that bring in big numbers in the theaters. And we might just be going through a growing phase where these films just have to prove themselves. We just need one. We need one that's going to do gangbusters. And then everybody was like, okay, now we know we can make this much money with this kind of film that's just released on streaming. And then the next, you know, set of movies that are produced are going to have a lot higher investment and, and stuff like that. Um, I'd be yeah. curious to see how it shakes out. Because if you ask me, everybody wins. Because then you've got 
an audience that has better access. You've got families that can stay home and watch it. People that can go to the movie theaters and want to go to the movie theaters still can, provided everything is back to normal as far as health and safety. Like, it just provides more options. And I think that the audience is not used to that and neither are the investors in the movies. Now, I'm not yep. an executive producer. I don't know the, all the ins and outs, but that's what I get from just kind of following the industry um, for podcasts and stuff is that it, it just feels like a a stretching point for media. And we'll, we're going to settle somewhere. We just don't really know where that's going to be on the other side. Well, the, the, only the future can tell. Well, speaking of time, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Lou and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find us by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, even YouTube. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. Check out my other podcast all about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com, where this week we're going to be talking about the massive 1.18 experimental snapshot that was released yesterday uh, on the show. It is really quite something to behold. So check that out at thespawnchunks.com next Monday. Uh, today, I will point you towards twitch.tv slash joelduggan where I'm streaming cool games like Before We Leave, more Minecraft, probably even that experimental snapshot, uh, as well as a bunch of other things. So check that out at Joel Duggan on Twitch. Lou, where can people find you online? Easiest place to find me is under the name Busy Zombie Lord on all the social media that matters. And you can check out my podcast, Zombies Ain't My Podcast, where we just wrapped up talking about the uh, Resident Evil series that just showed up on Netflix. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you've run out of time.